Let's get down to business. Welcome to Profits and Purpose, a Colorado Business Roundtable production that unapologetically tells the story that business is good through conversations with Colorado's business leaders. Please welcome your host, the president of the Colorado Business Roundtable, Debbie Brown. Thanks for joining us today. I'm very excited to welcome Jesse Mallory, who is the state director of Americans for Prosperity here in Colorado. And Jesse and I have known each other for many years back when he served at the state Senate and, and various other roles and has been a fixture in public affairs here in Colorado and excited to catch up with you, Jesse. Appreciate you having me on. <laughs> Absolutely. It's great to be with you. Hey, before we jump into what's going on with AFP Colorado, just want to touch base with you regarding a wrap up of 2021 you know, our business partners, and, and you know, we, we serve folks from academia, business, community, and government, and really try to amplify the voice voice of business here in Colorado. And and some of your priorities with AFP are certainly um, aligned with that in terms of freedom, opportunity, and prosperity. But let's talk quickly about a wrap-up of 2021. Tell me about what your main priorities were for Colorado and what direction you see Colorado going. Yeah, and I, I think 2021 was, has been a really interesting year. I mean, we, you know, we came out of a pandemic and as frustrating as upsetting all that was, one of the things that I was really moved by was the innovation we saw in the business sector where, you know, folks were finding ways to operate safely, give, you know, giving consumers the things that they needed at a time when a lot of folks didn't want to leave their house. We saw increases in delivery. We saw a lot of entrepreneurship there. So, I mean, we saw some pretty amazing things. And, you know, in American Prosperity, we, we have a deep belief in, pe- in people. And this is why, because we see things like this, that if you give a entrepreneur a problem, they, they're immediately looking for a solution. That was one of the things that we saw. And we, we've seen our economy recover quicker than a lot of other states, um, in part, obviously, because we have taxpayers' bill of rights, so they can't just raise taxes. And, you know, they had to adjust their spending as a state. But we saw our economy rebound in a way that a lot of people didn't expect. In fact, the legislature anticipated making these draconian cuts that never came to fruition because we saw that. So it was great in that regard. When I think about organizations such as yours, you know, they're out there educating folks on here, here's what the business community is doing. Here's what, you know, here's the solutions they're bringing to the table. And that's important, especially in a situation where in a pandemic, you know, we've only read about these in history books. Now, now we're living through one trying to manage it. And I think the important role that the Business Roundtable and others play is, is really critical in that in ensuring that people understand here, here's a solution that the business sector can bring to this sort of situation. And then on the, I think on the more unfortunate side was we saw the legislature move toward a lot of regulations, a lot of uh, things on not just the business community, but on others that I think brought some negative drawbacks. Um, I think we saw, and as far as our organization is concerned, some of the fee increases brought underneath the transportation bill were problematic. And along with uh, an attempt to create a public option, I think all of us understand there could be dramatic improvements in healthcare. <laughs> From our perspective is, we know what happens when government, maybe well-intentioned, starts to involve themselves into a lot of this stuff. We start to see a lot of unintended consequences of cost of increases going up in for care, for premiums, and a lot of other things. So I think uh, as far as 2021 is concerned, I, I kind of call it a mixed bag where we saw some really good things and some real glimmers of hope, and then we saw some more unfortunate things. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And and to your earlier point, 
Jesse, it, it's interesting that while the government tries to be prescriptive about problem solving on this issue, the truth is the private sector did an incredible job at being nimble, not only initially in the pandemic on meeting the needs of customers and workforce and their own employees to make sure that they were operating in as safe a manner as possible. But then I would almost see kind of an interesting opportunity drawn out of disruption in terms of how businesses had to take, again, there's no playbook, right, for a global yeah. pandemic, but how do nope. you take this, how do you take the situation and still find ways to make products and services work for people in kind of this new environment? Um, you know, maybe it's using broadband differently, work at home differently, but the creativity and inventiveness we've seen all across the country, but certainly here in Colorado has been just amazing to tell those stories. No, absolutely. And I think what we're seeing today is where a lot of businesses thought of, you know, remote employees. Now nah, we're not into that. Who realize actually that they found uh, it to be a lot more beneficial for what they're trying to accomplish and that people were able to get a, a different work-life balance and some other things. So I think what we're seeing is that, that there's transformation here in the economy and in businesses to say, to adapt to this new environment. And I think we've seen some really intelligent people who've come out and found ways to really be successful in this environment. And it's transformed how um, people want to do goods and services and the legislature, the one time I'll say government did something extremely well, um, <laughs> was uh, uh, when uh, Governor Polis did executive order on alcohol to go, which, you know, some people are like, hey, that's alcohol. It's not that big of a deal. Why were you guys so excited about it? But House Bill 1027, what it did was to say, there was a lot of businesses that, uh, you know, could do the margaritas to go at Los Arcos down the street from me, uh, one of the best Mexican restaurants. Uh, that's a hill I'm willing to die on. <laughs> that, <laughs> I mean, so things like that really helped them because that was a huge part of what kept them alive during the pandemic when everybody's locked up at home. You know, they get some food and they'd order margaritas and, and things like that. And, it, and when the legislature continued the executive order five years and I think we'll all work towards making that permanent. That was a time where I feel like government reacted in a positive way to say, hey, here's what the market needs. Here's an unnecessary barrier. This helped businesses survive in extremely tough circumstances. And now we're seeing the benefits of that. Yeah, I think that's a great example. And you alluded to the public option bill, which um, I recall doing a webinar, gosh, months and months ago with leaders of some of our healthcare systems here in mm -hmm. Colorado. And it was interesting even thinking about the timing of the bill during the pandemic. You know, some of the systems were even saying, you know, give us a minute. We're still dealing with drastic, drastic operational changes and challenges. We're still in the middle of caregiving. And so to throw kind of this wholesale change on us right now, like, let's just wait and have the debate a couple of years from now. You know, it wasn't even necessarily... Um, you know, wanting to debate the merits of, of the legislation. It was just the timing is so, um, you know, yeah, no, it's the, not right. <laughs> and it feels like a lifetime since then, but I mean, let's rewind. So that, that was early. That was like February, March when we knew something was around. Nobody was sure what it was. It was, it was two weeks, you know, the slow, the bend the curve or whatever they called it, uh, which we know was not, <laughs> which came a much longer timetable. But I remember him listening to those committees where they brought in these healthcare providers and, they were talking about all these things and, and these poor people are, you know, they, they got employees. They, they got, they're trying to figure out how they're going to deal with the sickness that's happening and might've been the worst possible timing. And, and obviously, you know, it, no, no one knew what we were into at that point, but I, I remember that 
situation came and then suddenly people's understanding of what our healthcare workers were going through at that time changed the narrative really quick where the legislature, after spending who knows how long crafting this grandiose plan of theirs, realized they needed to take a step back. And then, of course, they brought it back again this year and the public option quickly became the not public option due to, uh, I think it's 21 amendments over time. But it, that that was one of the more fascinating bills to watch, just from where it started to kind of how it ended. I think for everybody who wonders about what kind of impact they can have in the process, when you think about all the people and organizations that were involved in that conversations and the, and the people who brought information, the employers, the hospitals, all those, all those people who came forward and, and told their story and said, this is how it impacts me. I mean, I, I still don't like 1232, but... but Due to the grassroots lobbying of, of people around the state, but more, but also part of that was those one-on-one conversations that these providers were having with legislators to walk them through. This is what happens if you do this. This is what this word will actually do to us. And, yeah. and I mean, you just can't overstate the importance of having that kind of conversation. Well, and we were a part of that conversation too, kind of always from a big picture standpoint, Mm-hmm. about government's role in telling the private sector how to price that. You know, if that becomes the government's role, then it really can cross industries. It's not yep. just healthcare. It's okay. How much, you know, should an iPhone cost? Should it cost $50? Yeah. Okay. You know, let's see what kind of iPhone we can get for $50. So what's, what's not the what you want. Role? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Why not no, and that's something that I think we've seen the Business Roundtable do extremely well, which is amplify those voices and have those conversations because too often they have an important story to tell, but they need someone to help them do that. And, and Debbie, I mean, just humble brag on you. I think you've done an amazing job over over this last legislative session, especially, is really amplifying those voices and telling those stories because it. I think people can get frustrated. They don't know who to talk to. They don't know if they should just send an email and hope someone reads it, but it's to, you know, create those connections, amplify those voices. Oh, well, thanks, Jesse, for that. I think we've tried to really fit kind of a long-term perspective and, you know, work with people, you know, it doesn't matter what political party, you know, how do, how does the mm-hmm. voice of business become something that crosses party lines? Because it's not really, you know, even though we're having fights now at the federal level on corporate tax rates, but mm-hmm. business isn't brick and mortar, it's people. And so we try to bring people to the table to kind of be a trusted feedback loop on some of those issues and and um, tell the story that when a strong economic environment is still present in Colorado, you know, everybody wins. Communities win, people win. And that's absolutely right. And I think too often people view it as when they think of business, you know, they, they have these imaginary rich guys, you know, sitting with cigars in the boardroom. And really it's the small business down your street that's sponsoring your kid's soccer team and, you know, and giving kickbacks for fundraisers and being involved in the community. And it's easy to get that disconnect. People start thinking, well, you know, they're just thinking Wall Street. But it's like, you know, there's a lot of your your business, your friends and family members who have businesses on Main Street who are impacted by these policies. Right. And not to jump too much into it, you could get me talking all day about the importance (laughs) of business. I think about, you know, a lot of our employers are large employers. Mm-hmm. And they get kind of a bum rap too. But I think oh, totally. of, you know, one of our large employers will have 250 other companies in Colorado as supply chain partners. So yep. the interconnectivity, you know, to pick on big business or small business, you know, the truth is we're all interconnected. And so the the competitive environment to keep Colorado competitive is so critical. So with well, that, we saw that with the oil and gas regulations. Yeah. I mean, that that there were so many small businesses that were dependent on these larger companies that were in here who employed massive amounts of people. And we saw food trucks, we saw, 
you know, uh, you know, laundry mats. We saw all Hotels. these other businesses and it was a ripple effect because people just thought, you know, I, I'm just targeting this person or this industry. I don't, and they don't think about the secondary impact that a policy can have for the smaller businesses who are dependent on those larger employers. Right. I think you said it really well a few minutes ago, just unintended consequences, mm-hmm. you know, as we think through um, some of the policies. So let's shift. I know, uh, you know, our contributors, some of our board members and some other strategic partners put together road to recovery recommendations back in 2020. Mm-hmm. A lot of those have been implemented. Some of them are short term, some are long term. But it's really about creating a competitiveness environment for the state, which includes tax and regulatory structure, which I know is a big priority area for AFP. Our other two items in that report uh, were about infrastructure and also about workforce, which we spend Mm -hmm. a lot of time on. But Jesse, tell me a little bit more about your priorities in terms of that first piece, creating a competitiveness agenda. I know that's a sweet spot when you talk about AFP priorities. Yeah. So... And that, that's on a few levels. And one of them is ensuring that we have a, a fair uh, tax code. And I think Colorado's flat tax is one of the fairest that you can have. We, we see states that are implement, implementing things like a graduated income tax and, and the people and businesses that are fleeing those states and dealing with that. So that's one of our top priorities is ensuring that we have a fair and flat tax here in Colorado. So that allows predictability. One of the things that we have with the taxpayers' bill of rights is it gives some predictability. Right? Like the legislature is not just going to show up one thing and triple taxes here and double in there. That both people and business have that predictability. Um, so that that's another important piece of that that we think creates that competitiveness environment. But also ensuring that we have a, a, flare, a fair playing field for people. Uh, I, I can tell you from my time in the legislature that folks would show up sometimes and say, you know, well, we need this really important regulation. It's it's health, life, safety. And I'd read it and say, gosh, kind of reads like your competition. <laughs> and they'd say, well, yeah, we think they're bad actors. And like, you don't really get to make that decision, actually. But and it's ensuring that we don't, we don't have situations like that where, you know, people are trying to, you know, unfairly tilt the playing field in their favor and against their competition because, uh, you know, we, we believe in innovation. We, we see it. And just like we talked about earlier with the pandemic is that if you give people a fair playing field and you're not going to move the goalposts on them, they can come up with creative approaches to solve you know, problems and create a system where it's beneficial both for the consumer and for the business. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting that predictability, you know, is so critical for business planning and, and back to the mm-hmm. oil and gas industry. You know, there's there's so much unpredictability with all the different, um, you know, hoops that they have to jump through specifically. It's been an industry that's really been picked out um, from other industries in terms of that regulation, um, rulemaking, all the different layers of of new government um, regulation, for example. But um, go back to Tabor just for a minute, Jesse. It's funny how many meetings I go to where people talk about Tabor. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, uh, you know, it would be interesting to almost do kind of an analysis of what Colorado might be like if Tabor was never enacted. You know, would we look more like California now? But yet some folks are wanting to see some tweaks to Tabor. How, do you guys have a position on that? On where Tabor yeah. is in the future? Oh, oh no, I, I have very strong opinions about that. But, <laughs> and I, and I won't take up all of our time. The bottom line is that uh, 71% of Coloradans support Tabor, and Tabor says that the government wants to increase taxes, but more importantly, the government wants to increase debt. And that's that's the one thing that we, I feel like everybody kind of glosses over in these conversations that the government can't go out and take out these massive loans and 
incur tons of debt to pay for things because that's that's what's actually hurt a lot of states. When you think about uh, Tabor, and I know that the rub for a lot of people is is that we have a spending cap. And what I think a benefit of the spending cap is we don't have those massive uh, uh, spikes and then drops in budgeting. Like the government can actually plan. I mean, they make cuts occasionally, but more times than not, I'll tell you, when they say they made a cut, they made a reduction in their increase. Reduction in increase is not a cut. A cut is negative. Yeah, <laughs> if, and I wasn't a math major, million, but, but you only got like thirty. Yeah. It's not a cut. So it, it allows for the government to have a more consistent uh, planning and more predictability in what they're doing. We saw we see states like Alaska where their budget will jump up huge because of oil, and then it'll just plummet, and then they they're adjusting along the way. We we don't have those problems here because of that. So I I, I think that all. Three of the important reasons why, to me, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights is so important and why we fight so hard to uh, protect it. And frankly, there's other states that are looking at it. And we see it in Wyoming. We're seeing that uh, there's there's a bill going on in Pennsylvania right now uh, that there's things going on in South Dakota. There's other states that are implementing this because they see the benefits of it. Well, and other states are, you mentioned California in particular, um, my counterparts in California are the California Business Roundtable. Mm-hmm. They've actually developed a separate website called Califrummers, and it's to track all the businesses leaving California in terms of annual revenue, number of employees, the economic mm-hmm. impact to California from being from California. And and I would hate to ever see Colorado in that position. I think we're we're not in that position yet, which is really good. But yeah. it's a cautionary tale, perhaps. Well, it is, and I, I can tell you it. Um, as an organization, we, we talk to a lot of people who are moving here from California, New York, and Illinois. While they might be progressive in their views for candidates, when you start talking about uh, taxpayer protections, they're like, we're all in. Uh, I, I heard a story about the Illinois legislature meeting days before a holiday, passing all these in, you know, tax increases on a variety of issues, and then going out. And then their response was, well, gosh, nobody said anything. It's like, well, yeah, you did it. It was like the day before the 4th of July. Like, yeah, nobody expects you to be there. Sorry, <laughs> type thing. And that's and that's one of the things where, with Tabor is that they have to have a conversation with the people. They, they make a case that's both beneficial to the government and to the taxpayers. And, and to me, that's, that's how you get good policy. So, Jesse, looking ahead again for 2022, what would you want our partners to know about AFP's priorities looking ahead? Uh, if they want more information, where would they go? Well, e- easiest is our website, americasforprosperity.org. It talks about both our state and uh, federal priorities. But I think looking ahead at 2022, and it's an election year, so there's always a lot of noise and a lot of, a lot of talking heads. But I would encourage people to really focus on a few key areas, especially those in the business community. We think about the uh, employee trip reduction plan that was attempted in the department. And just for everyone's understanding, to defeat something like that in a department is almost unheard of. <laughs> like that does not happen very often. When when the department puts forward a plan, it's kind of gonna happen. And the idea that the government can use business as the enforcer of a, of a party that they want to reduce people's single occupancy vehicle trips, I think is very dangerous. And I, I think as a business owner, you know, you're, you're trying to meet payroll, you're trying to comply with all the other regulations and, and to then put this on top of them is wildly unfair. So there's folks that right now are talking about doing it through the legislative process, which is where actually conversation should happen. But uh, that's something that I would encourage them to keep an eye on. But also to really look at how how folks are approaching some of these other requirements to say, you know, businesses are supposed to meet 
you know, here's the way that you want you to hire employees to use their time to do all these things. And it, and it takes away from that flexibility. And, and these legislators, I mean, they are good. They're well-intentioned. They, you know, I give them the benefit of the doubt. They're really trying to do something good. But the problem is, is that when you create these one size fits all system, you take away flexibility from an employer who, you know, saying that maybe they only want a 1099 people because it only makes sense versus saying, well, if everyone has to be a full-time employee, it's like, well, gosh, now I got to do benefits. I got to do all these things. You start taking away those tools and the flexibility that some people will want to say, hey, I don't, I only want this one-way relationship with us. I don't want to go into a full-time employment situation with you. And, And those are sort of things that I would encourage your members to really, you know, reach out, have those conversations with legislators and drive that narrative so they understand that, uh, th- this isn't a, this isn't them saying, well, gosh, you know, we we only want to use these employees. It's like, no, th- you want to have that flexibility for your business and for the employee or contractor in order to say, like, what works best for both of us. Right, and I think too, you know, I think you're like maybe alluding to a business model like a DoorDash or an Uber Eats. Uh, yeah, know, my son could help pay for his school. <laughs> that's yeah. why he got through college was driving. That's great. Yeah, that's turning on the app when it worked for him. You know, it was a perfect job at the perfect time. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing is that, you know, they, they may not be in a position where when you think about, you know, parents, you know, who have kids in school, they have a couple hours in the day to, you know, turn it on, turn it off as they need. And, you know, especially now if you have a sick kid or your class gets sent home, you know, it gives you that flexibility to say, hey, this doesn't work for me right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a competition for talent right now. And businesses are adapting mm-hmm. and growing at ways that government can't anticipate. Uh, you know, it's part of the, the beauty of the free market system. Yeah, right. it, can, it can adapt and move. When, yeah. yeah, and because the government, it'll, it, it'll get there kind of at some point. It'll just, it'll be a long time afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, well said. Well, Jesse, so fun to connect with you and hear a little bit more about what you're working on for 2022. We definitely want to stay in touch. All the things that you're for, freedom, prosperity, opportunity, are definitely aligned with what we're trying to do and amplifying the voice of business in Colorado as well. So appreciate you coming on and providing some thought leadership from your organization. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Jesse. And thanks everyone for joining us. This has been an episode of Profits and Purpose. This has been a presentation of the Colorado Business Roundtable. Be sure to check out all of our episodes on Podcatchers Everywhere at cobrt.com. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom, Deaf Communications. Thank you for listening to Profits and Purpose, 